little gathering of ours began, I, I was really quite sceptical. I remember uh, for some time, Besma was kept, kept on saying to me, we, we ought to have some Greenleaf conference. And I would say, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I wasn't, I wasn't very uh, enthusiastic about it, uh, especially in the south of England. But uh, when she, she and David uh, said, well, how about something in, in Derbyshire? It seemed to me a bit different, and so I said, yeah, okay then. I really uh, was sort of reluctantly persuaded into it. I had no idea what uh, blessings we would have. These last three years have had been such a sense of God's presence and uh, the Lord's been with us. It was more than I asked or thought. It really has been an amazing time for these last uh, three years. So although I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to thank people, but... Uh, I do want to tell you that I think it's wonderful. We've had good times together. Amazing how everybody from all sorts of different uh, strands and cultures, a little bit of heaven, everybody uh, from different places and different uh, strands in the Christian world and different histories and different countries, really is quite amazing what a, a varied lot we all are. But uh, that's typical of the Lord. I always find that uh, God does have amazing ability to take people from all over the place and put them together as a kind of team. And we've known a bit of that in these last uh, three years. It's been wonderful. So although, although I won't begin to try to uh, thank everybody I ought to thank, but I, I do want you to know that uh, I really think God's been with us. I'm grateful for the participation different people have had in, in dozens of different ways. As for the future, I'm not quite sure where we should go. We've been talking about it. I, I think it's uh, we've got to the stage where I think we ought to take a step forward and do something a little bit different. There are certain weaknesses about uh, our being here. It's uh, very expensive. It's uh, small. It's not very church-based. I really like things to be based upon churches. So we've been uh, discussing what we should do from for, for next year and uh, maybe thereafter. But uh, we don't completely have the answer. But as for, for next year, I have suggested something like this. We've We've made a fellowship and contact with our, our friends from uh, South Africa and Forest Town and uh, many, many different uh, churches from all over the place, even, even darkest Northern Ireland is here, how about the darkest Dublin is here, how about that? But uh, <laughs> Praise God, and remember last year we had Gertz from, uh, from uh, Holland with us, I'll be with them next week. So we have uh, had good fellowship with uh, our friends with uh, South African origins and um, I also uh, am concerned about them as well. I, I feel that they also have come to a certain uh, point in, in their ministry where um, it's, it's my feeling that they should be taking some forward steps. What I have suggested is, um, I've just put the, the idea to, to Ant. You know Auntie sitting there with his wife, uh, Helen, on the end there. What I've suggested is that we ask some of these uh, brothers who've been with us and sisters who've been with us if they would... Uh, uh, maybe like to start a kind of multi-stream uh, weekend or whatever conference that's multi-stream, by which I mean not just uh, any one particular segment, but uh, where churches can come together. I think they would be capable of organizing a bigger thing than we, than we are. I think it, it would be cheaper. It, it could be uh, easily done. So what I have suggested, although it's, it's in the uh, preliminary stages, we don't have any details yet, but what I have suggested is that they organize something a little bit bigger than what we've done and try and bring pastors and churches in. A lot of new things happening in Britain. A lot of people who are, who are um, how can I put it, they've become um, 
kind of orphans in the storm. They're people who used to be NFI or they used to be NCMI, used to be this and used to be that, and now they're kind of independent congregations. A lot of people out there who are like that all over the world, including Britain. Um, so I have just proposed that, uh, that Ants and his wife and the fellowship there think of something along those lines. I'm still thinking, I'm hoping it will still be Derbyshire. I, very, uh, I think we did the right thing. I, I, I had no idea that I'd be back in my birthplace, Matlock of all, of all places. Uh, I never ever imagined I would be around this part of the world. But uh, I do think God's been in it. I do think it's been amazing that uh, we've had this winter conference in, in March or April or wasn't the first one in February. And uh, I think it's been right. I don't think we should lose that. And some of the people we've been reaching, I think we should uh, continue. It's nice to have people from the Middle East and, and uh, Egypt and uh, the Middle East via Switzerland. And uh, it's been good to have those people. And uh, we've made friends all over the place. And it's good to have done that. And I, think, I don't think we should stop. We should, we should progress. But um, I'm not sure that uh, this particular place is the right location for us. It's about time we developed and went somewhere else and maybe expanded a bit, brought churches in and so on. And it doesn't, I don't have to be the only speaker. We, we can do something greater and bigger. So we're thinking along those lines. In next March, I'm in South Africa for two weeks. In April, I'm in Canada. So quite, we had to squeeze in, I don't know. But, but I'm imagining we've squeezed something in in early April while I'm on my way to Canada. Something like that might be very compact and pressed. But uh, we could have a good time. So although that's a vague picture, it's along those lines which we're going, and we'll be in touch with Ants, and we'll get a little team or something, and we'll do something along those lines next year. Okay, um, that, that's the way we're thinking. But uh, we've always been led by God. I don't, I don't think any genius came up with these, these conferences. It really was straight from the Lord. It just dropped from heaven. And uh, I don't think any of us knew any, had any idea where we were going. Jesus is the head of the church, not us. And uh, we've seen that over the last three years. So once again, we're looking to the Lord to... Uh, lead us into the next step and just see where we go. Okay. Um, so let's turn in our Bibles. We're doing two things. I just want to wind up a few closing comments in connection with the teaching we've been following concerning our sonship and our love and knowledge of God. And we're also gathering around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which who and which makes it all possible for us. We come into every blessing through the blood of Christ. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. We have daily fellowship by the blood of Christ. We reach our inheritance by the blood of Christ. But there are two passages as I come to some very hurried closing remarks. First of all, from 1 John chapter 3, and uh, then from Matthew chapter 5. 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Our sonship's not, not finished yet, and there's more to come, but uh, it's more than we can put into words. God's not even told us what it is, I suppose it's because it's indescribably great that we wouldn't even be able to take it. What we shall be, we do not, we do not know. But we do know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him or 
you have to get this you have to get the emphasis right everybody who holds on to this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure not everybody that knows about it not everybody's got the right doctrine but everybody that lays hold of this if you really see that you are a child of God and, and we're on your way to heavenly glory and uh, you don't know what's coming yet but there's much more to come that's so great and uh, the way in which we live does matter we are secure, we're in grace, we're not going to lose our salvation. But still, uh, those who sow to the Spirit will back from the Spirit reap blessings. God is not mocked. If we, if we sow to the flesh, we'll destroy ourselves, we'll ruin ourselves, we won't uh, lose salvation, but, we'll, but we will ruin our lives. Uh, so the way in which we live and work out this sonship of ours does matter. And if you really believe it, if you get hold of this, Anybody who lays hold of this hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will purify himself. He'll go and deal with certain and get certain things out of his life and start laying hold of the treasures that are there for us and uh, working out this sonship in that way. And then the other verse that I am concerned about, and mainly this one, is Matthew chapter 5 in the middle of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek and those who hunger for righteousness and then blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God and that leads us into the, the, the closing thought after these various things we've been through that uh, being the children of God has a certain responsibility to it because amongst other things, it means that we, we represent God. We are here as God's children. We are the members of his family who are standing for him and representing him in this world. And uh, so the world doesn't have much interest in God. The only way in which the world gets to know about God or the gospel is to look at us. We look at his people. And Jesus says, if only we, are, we are like this, find this blessing of, of uh, being nothing in ourselves, poor in spirit... And, and grieving somewhat because the kingdom's not finally come and we're not all that we ought to be, but, but meek and undefensive, hungering for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, and then positively spreading a kind of kingdom of love and peace everywhere. When we are truly like that, people recognize it, they see it, and they start calling us the sons of God. Those people, they're the, they're the children of God. They start uh, declaring that, that we are God's people. When they see our love by this, all people know, says, says uh, the Lord Jesus in John, John's Gospel. So we, we begin to shine as the children of our Father. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 2. We're, we're like uh, stars twinkling in the darkness. And we're shining as the children of God. People are recognizing that we're God's people. So our sonship puts upon us a kind of responsibility. We are the ones that, that the world looks at when it's thinking about the gospel and we're really the only channels of, of communication to the world. God, God's not sending some angel. They don't read the Bible. They, they don't come into our churches very much. But they do see us. The world is always watching us more, more than we realize. We make big claims. And even when the world is ill-treating us, uh, I was reading yesterday, I think it was an article about Christians in Britain in the Times. Have you, have you seen that article in the Times about Christians in Britain? They're a minority now, says, says the Times, and that's true. And that sometimes they're sort of overclaiming and a bit, they sound a bit smug and superior. 
And the Times is discussing how, how, how Christians can function in modern Britain, it's multicultural Britain. Uh, read it, it's a very interesting article, written by a kind of a somewhat weak Christian, in my opinion. But, uh, but it's, it's a good question. How are we going to function in modern Britain, multicultural Britain, with all sorts of religion going and a kind of atheist religion also growing as, as much religious as any other religion, kind of facing, a face in no God, it's still a face, it's a face in no God. Uh, all, all these things growing in modern Britain. And here in, here in the middle of it all are we who the, are the only ways in which God is, as it were, represented. They're not going to be reading the Bible, they're not going to be coming to church very much, but they are going to be seeing us. And if only we are all that we ought to be, we shall be called the sons of God. People will say, oh, those people, they're the ones, they're the sons of God. They may not even admit it. They might write nasty articles about us in the Times. But uh, all the time they, they know we're the ones who are claiming to represent the God of the Bible. This old-fashioned Christianity that, that was there years ago, we, we wished we, we could get rid of it. These Christians, they're the, one, they're the sons of God. There have been times in British history when the Gospel's almost been wiped out. Around about 1715, 1720, people said, well, the gospel's finished. You know, we, we've discovered it's fiction. We don't need to believe this stuff anymore. It's really gone. Dead and buried, a few, few more years, and uh, it'll be gone. Voltaire said, well, the day will come when nobody will even know the name of Jesus. Well, that was a bad prophecy for a start. But uh, actually, not many people know the name of Voltaire. And his, and his house be, it belongs to the United Bible Society. So uh, that prophecy didn't work out too well. But you see, God has a habit that when things are dead and buried, and you think, well, we've finished with him, we've got rid of him, he's dead and buried, he's gone. God can raise the dead at any point. He can do the same with the Christian church. And he does it through us. People say, well, they're the sons of God. So our being, God's children, has great responsibility and, and I leave you with that thought I don't want to spend too much time I want us to get into the Lord's Supper but um, that's the kind of closing or the climax or the bottom line with regard to this teaching we have these great privileges but there's a wrong responsibility we, we are the people the world is looking at and they look, us, look at us more than we realise because we, we make big claims and although the world uh, brushes us aside they, they sort of listen to our claims and they sort of know there's some truth in it. You know, the, the Spirit is with us, and uh, it, we, we, we convict the world of sin. That's the whole promise of, uh, of John 15, 14, 15, 16. When the Spirit comes, you'll convict the world of sin. The, the world sort of knows that we've got something. And even though they don't admit it, they, they know, and they know that we're making big claims, and they know there's something different. We're not just like the typical religious guy. These, these evangelicals, these Bible-believing people, and they, they harass us a lot, reason why they harass us a lot is they feel that, that, that we, maybe we've got something. It's often a kind of guilt reaction. And they uh, know there's something there. The power of the Spirit is, is with us. And, they, and they, they read us. Remember how Paul says that we are a, a letter from Christ. They, we are their Bible. They don't read this Bible. They read us. They don't read the epistle to the Romans. They, they read us as the epistle from Christ to them. We are their Bible. We are their letter they read us. And so to be the children of God, this is how we should think of our holiness. Don't think of holiness as, a, you know, I need to be, get the victory so God blesses me. It's a very self-centered way of thinking about holiness. Think of it like this, that you are the ones that are representing God in this world. If you let the Lord down, well, it's a bit of a pity that you should be so ungrateful when God has done so much for you that you let his reputation down in this world. Think of, think of your holiness, not so much in terms of your little blessings, but in terms of what you are doing 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his image. The image of God. Remember how the Bible puts it? The image of God is being restored. Remember the Bible is teaching about images that uh, the Ten Commandments forbade people to make any graven image. Think about images in the ancient world. You went into an ancient temple, some pagan temple in the ancient world, and when you went inside the temple, there would be an image, there would be a statue of the god, maybe a bull or a goat or a crocodile or something, and that would be the image of this animal-type god in the ancient world. And God uh, forbade that. He said, don't even, don't even try and make a picture of me with some animal or statue. You can't do it. Don't even try. But then he said he was making us as the image of God. Not in, but as. He makes us as the image of God. In other words, it is, it is as though the whole world is a temple. And inside the temple is an image. But it's not a statue it's not a picture, it's not a Greek Orthodox icon. It, it's us. We are the image. When, when you want to know what God is like, we're his image. We reflect him, we reflect his glory. You, you can't reflect God with a thing, with a, an object or a, a picture or a, or a cartoon or an icon. It takes a living personality to represent God. And the Bible says that we, we are God's image. When you come into the temple of this world, there's the image of God is there. And it's men and women as they ought to be. They're the kings, they're the lords, they're the representative of the God of the temple of the entire of the entire universe. And you know the Bible's teaching the image of God was damaged. We were we 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 sin and we fall short of the glory of God. We lose something of that glorious image of what we meant to be. But now, remember the Bible's teaching we are re we are being recreated in the image of God. We are being conformed to the image of his son. The teaching is that we're getting back our, our, our destiny of representing God here in this world. He's not doing it with anybody. He's doing it with his people. Being changed from one degree of glory to another. Going back to the, the glorious image to be able to represent God. That's the teaching. Maybe it's a way of putting it that you haven't heard. But that's the teaching that we are to function in this world as the representative and the image of God. When people see us, they say, it says of Jesus, he, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. There's a sense in which that ought to be true of Christians as well. When you see the Christian, you see God. They're the sons of God. You see, sons normally look like their father. People sometimes see the four, and our children were young in Zambia, people would see our four children and say, yeah, you can tell they're Eton's. You know, one, one little glimpse, you, oh, you can tell they're Eton's, a bit of the, the appearance that the Eton's appears in them. You, you begin to look like your, uh, like your father. I sometimes have the privilege of going back to somewhere where I've been a long time ago, Lusaka or, or uh, Nairobi Baptist Church or somewhere, and I, and I see some old friend of mine who I, and I go and greet him and think, oh, this is my old friend. I go and greet him. So I think, no, it can't be him at all. He's too young. You know, he, he must be about 70 now. He, he, can't, he can't be this young guy. And then I realize it's not my old friend. It's their son. Or it's not the, the lady who's getting a bit elderly now. It's her daughter. And she looks just like the dad that I knew 20 years ago. And I'm actually thinking it's my old friend. And it's not. It's, it's their son. They just look like their parents were 20, 30 years ago. They're in the image of their parents. You even think that they're parents. That's the way we're to be. People come and, and we shine with God. We're shining with the glory of God. 
you know, peacemakers. Everybody else is fighting, we're making peace. And they say, well, well maybe the, he's the son of God. They're calling us the sons of God. This is what we're to be in God's world. So this teaching has high privilege in it, but it has high responsibility that we're to function as God's children here in this world, being his image, so that our, our good works appear before men. We're not trying to make them appear. We don't sort of live before people, but they do appear anyway. People do see, see what we are. Our good works appear before men and women, and they, they see the glory of our Father in us, and they give glory unto him. What a, what a high calling. What a, an amazing challenge that we should have the privilege of representing God here in this world. People should be reading us. It's scary. It's intimidating. Yet, it, yet it's a great chance. It's a high calling indeed. What a privilege to be able to be representing God here in this world. And it will make us careful. He who has this hope purifies himself. We get rid of things which are damaging, damaging the image of God, damaging the reputation of God here in this world. And here in days of growing conflict in Britain against against Islam and uh, secularism and superstition and Harry Potter-type religion and all this sort of supernatural stuff that's coming into Britain. Here we are. What a privilege. I'm, I'm glad things are getting tougher. Uh, I'm waiting to see old religion dead and buried. There's a lot of dead religion in Britain. Best thing you can do with the corpse is bury it quick. I, I want to see all that stuff go. Let's, let's see God do something new. Let's, let's see a people arise who are not old C of E sort of people in traditional churches, but with a new. I, I like the story of Terry Virgo's interview on television. Did, did you hear Terry Virgo's story? He, he was uh, complaining a bit. It, it, where I live, said Terry, Terry Virgo, the head of NFI, where I live, they're turning all the old church buildings in, in, into warehouses. And the interviewer replied, well, that's a strange thing because where I'm living, they're turning all the warehouses into churches. You see, it's going both ways round. The old churches are dying and decaying. All right, quick, quicker they bury the better. No, no, we need new, a new movement, new things happening, new life, new power, modernity, liveliness, people shining with the glory of God. People, people have said, well, the gospel's dead and buried, it's finished, it's gone. The name of Jesus, they won't even know it in a few years. Oh, they've said that before. And I have a little theory that God is setting Islam up for it to collapse. We've seen, we've seen powerful enemies of the gospel just collapse so in days. 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther nails a little notice board, little notice on the notice board in the church at Wittenberg calling for a meeting. Nobody came to it. But within a fortnight it was translated. Within a month the Pope was reading it. Within a year every country in Europe was reading it. It changed European history. One little man sticks a notice on a notice board for a meeting that nobody goes to. It changes history for centuries. Then God moves one tiny little thing and change things in hours, in days. When communism falls, we thought communism would last forever. One day it falls. We thought apartheid would go on forever. One day it falls. People think Islam's going to conquer Britain. Whoa, you, you better be careful. We're dealing with the God of the Bible. God only has to move and things... Could happen. We've been trying to reach Muslims for centuries and we can't get there. Now they're all coming to us. Well, praise God, it's cheaper on the airfares for a start. Now, now we, we can witness to them that we're not going to them anymore, they're coming to us. Who, who knows what God is setting up? God is the Lord of history and when things happen in history, it always surprises you. 
Someone knocks the Twin Towers down, you weren't expecting it. Someone invades invade Pearl Harbor, you weren't expecting it. Someone walks into, into, into some war, war zone, you're not expecting it. Some, some, some uh, president in Poland is in the sky and gone within seconds. When God moves, he moves fast. And whole civilizations can change in days. And don't, don't underestimate the God of the Bible. Don't you worry about Britain. Uh, if God does not move in one way, he'll move in another Jesus will reach all nations. Every nation will be reached with the gospel. At 10%, even today, 10% of China are saved. Even in Hindu newspapers, I've read, if we are not careful, we're going to see whole states becoming Christians. Why are we persecuting these Christians? You read it in Hindu newspapers. They're scared that the progress the gospel is making. Don't, don't, don't uh, be scared about God's king. Don't put, put out your hand to steady the ark. God can look after his own ark. Don't you have any kind of fear about that? But be a child of God. Be what you ought to be. Shine with glory. Shine with the the image of God. Be God's children here in this world. And of course, it all takes place by coming back again and again to the cross. That's why Jesus appointed this, this Lord's Supper. There he was on that Thursday day, just a few hours before he died. He knew that within 12 hours he would be dead. What would you be doing if you knew that 12, in 12 hours' time you would be dead? What would you be doing if you knew that you'd be up all night dealing with trials and by 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon you'd be out of this world forever? I think you'd be doing a lot of repenting, maybe. Praying hard, maybe asking God to rescue you from, from what's happening. Jesus wasn't repenting, he wasn't praying to be rescued. He was serving God until the very last moment, the very last second of his life. He was loving his own unto the end, says John 13.1. And, and there's one thing he wanted them to know and never to forget. He had one last thing to tell them, and that is that there was something he did not want them to ever to forget. And so it, it was Passover time, and he's in the middle of a Passover service, and he changes the Passover service. They're not bothered about the roast lamb not bothered about all, the, all these different cups of wine and, and bitter herbs. He's not bothered about that very much. He's not bothered about the Mosaic covenant. You, you keep the, the covenant of Moses. And he's not bothered about that. And he picks up the bread and he breaks it. This bread, this, this is my body, he says, and he breaks the bread. Yes, he takes a, a cup of wine. This cup is the new covenant. Remember about Moses and, and, and dead animals and Passover and all those things. Don't, don't worry about that. This is the new covenant in my blood. I am doing something. Don't ever forget this. Keep on doing it. As often as you get, get together from time to time, just do this. Do this with your memory fixed on me. Do this in remembrance of me. There's one thing that he wants them never to forget. Why, why did Jesus ordain the Lord's Supper? To bring us back again and again and again and again to the cross. One thing that we are never to forget. We live on the blood of Christ. We don't live on how good we are. hope you don't. If you, are, if you do, you're not doing too well. We don't live on how, how good we're doing. We don't look good, live on how prayerful we are. We don't live, live on our gifts or our understanding or our preaching or our services or our church. We don't live on any of those things. We live on the blood of Christ. We live because Jesus died for us. And that blood's in heaven. The fact Jesus is presenting his blood to the Father in heaven. He's not dying in heaven, but he's presenting his blood. He's saying, Father, I died for them. He's appearing as, as a, our great high priest in the heavenly glory. And we're living on Jesus, presenting his blood. That's how, that's how we keep going. 
It keep going by faith in the blood of Christ. We survey it. You look at this cross for hour after hour. When I survey the wondrous cross, you can spend hours just looking at it from every angle, how Jesus was willing to suffer, how he laid down his life, how he was abandoned by the Father, crying out, my God, my God, why? He didn't even know what was going on. He lost clarity of mind in the last 10 seconds or so, whenever, whenever it was, however long it took. On the cross, the Father withdrew his presence. He was asking a question. Uh, what's going on now? There was more in the cross than even Jesus was ready for. He was bearing the sins of our world. He was taking our sins upon himself. And if he's taking our sins upon himself, then they don't have to be on us. That's the whole point. We don't have to have our sins on us. The guilt is, is not ours. I find that so amazing, I, I, I can't even take it in, that we're not guilty even when we're guilty. Even when we are guilty, God's not looking at us as though we were guilty. Even when we did sin, he's not even, in that, that, in that particular respect, he's not seeing it. In other respects he is, but at that point he's not even seeing it. It doesn't affect our status or our position. No, no, we're not guilty. Sin's been put on something else. And even more amazing, his righteousness has been put on us. We sang that song just now, Wearing Robes I Did Not Deserve. Did you see it in that song we sang? With robes that we don't deserve. We're clothed with robes of righteousness. And we're totally accepted in the blood of Christ. And uh, we keep on coming back to it. We're not to forget that. So we tend to. We tend to forget it. No, no. We must keep on coming back to it. It's blood of Christ. And we live on it. God passes over our sins. It was a Passover service. God passes over our sins. He clothes us with righteousness. It was real. He was bearing our sins in his body. It was actually physically taking place. It was a sacrifice. He was bearing, he was shedding his blood like a, an animal being slaughtered in the ancient Israelite setup. It's a real atonement for our sins. So we don't have to bear the guilt. We don't have to feel the weight of sin. We don't have to be scared of sin. It's a, that's a risky thing to say. You might misunderstand me, but I say it anyway. We don't have to be scared of sin. We've been rescued from sin. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And sin might, might shout us over the wall, but it is over the wall. There's a wall there. We, we're out of the kingdom of sin. We are being reigned over by grace. We're being ruled by grace. We've died to sin. Sin's over the wall somewhere shouting at us, but it uh, doesn't really have any power. It's around somewhere, but it's not, it's not the king of our lives. We have died to sin. We're in Christ. We're seated in the heavenly places. We come back again and again and again to the cross to remember these things. Well, what I, our time is going. Let's, let's have a time of praise and worship where many, many people just live, lead, lead us in prayer of praise and thanksgiving for this great salvation we've got, anything you've learned over these days, the privilege of being the sons of God, privilege of being forgiven and cleansed and washed, the privilege of fellowship, the knowledge of the power of the Spirit, this guiding book upon our lives, the Bible, the, the Lord showing us things, taking the, the veils away from our eyes so that we see. Let's praise God for all these many, many things. I think maybe we should stand. Let's stand and pray, lift up our voices to God. Many, many people are leading us in prayer in, in these next few moments. Father, come, give us your Holy Spirit. Put, put the spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude and praise in us and upon us. Thank you for this great salvation, the length and the breadth and the height and the depths, the love of Christ which passes knowledge.
being filled with all of the fullness of God. Oh, Father, what a, what a saviour you are. Lord Jesus, what a saviour you are. Holy Spirit, how much you bless us. Give us that sense of gratitude. And may we see the cross again this morning and know how much Jesus loves us. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name.